Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the in-depth study. As you can see, I'm not Ralphie. Ralphie's not able to be here. He's fighting a bit of a cold. So prayers are certainly needed for Ralphie and anyone else that might be out sick. Uh, but before we get started, and I try to cover what Ralphie had, and I'm just going to do a review. Why don't we uh, pray? Heavenly Father, Yahuwah, Abba, we thank you for this day. We thank you that we can come together and gather to discuss light matters, weighty matters, to edify one another and encourage one another and build one another up with your word. It is your word, Father, that sets us apart. It is your word that makes a difference in our life as you teach and instruct us the way in which we should go. Father, I ask your blessing upon this assembly and this portion and help us to be able to gain something from it. And I ask that you heal those that are afflicted and need healing and need your touch. So we ask this in Yahushua's name. Amen. Amen. So last week, Ralphie left off in Acts. So what I want to do is not proceed too much further than where he was, but I want to kind of continue in Acts chapter 10. Ralphie established the point that here was a vision that, uh, oh, I forgot to say, don't forget to like and thumbs up button on uh, and donate uh, Living Messiah, take care of the business at hand. All right, so here we were with Peter, Kepha, having a vision. So the question is, was the vision, because most of us are familiar with the account in chapter 10, so, and if there's a, uh, if you can get a mic and be able to uh, participate, that would be completely awesome. So, what was the vision about? Was the vision about food? Was the vision about people? And why? Any thoughts on that? We're just kind of doing a, a review from last week. What was the vision about? Don't make me answer my own question because I might not know the answer. That's why I'm looking out to you guys in the audience. Mark. So, yes, it's about it. He thinks when he's done having the vision immediately, he's thinking, what, is, what are you talking about, clean and unclean? So, but the vision is really not about food. It ends up being about mankind, men, different sects of people, specifically Samaritans, uh, that they are not unclean. Thank you, Mark. Come on, Arian, can I ask you to do me a favor? Inside my Bible there is 
some paper. Those are my notes. If I, I should have brought those up here. And if you could just bring that stack of paper inside there. Thank you so much, young man. Appreciate it. <laughs> so one of the ways that we know, because it says here in verse 15, that the voice came to him a second time, what Elohim has cleansed, do not consider common. Welcome. We got more folks showing up on a rainy day. Feels like Seattle, doesn't it? Don't you miss Pacific Northwest? Yeah, feels like home. <laughs> yeah. And it says that, uh, and this took place three times. So it was three times. It was kind of like for confirmation that he had this vision. And in verse 17, it says, while Ketha was doubting within himself about what the vision might mean, look, the men who had been sent from Cornelius, having asked for the house of Shimon, stood at the gate. So right away I'm going to say, okay, there is men coming to Kepha. He's trying to figure out what this vision means that he had, because in his mind he just said, I have never eaten anything unclean. And now some men are coming. So they're going to kind of add more light to the story. And calling out, they inquired whether Shimon, also known as Kepha, was staying there. So this jumps ahead to verse 28. They're inquiring because. They want him to take a trip. They want him to do something that most Jews would say you should not do. Does anybody know what that would have been? Okay. I'm sorry, can you hand him a mic, please? Uh, you can't get away that easy. go visit a Gentile and be in their house with them. So why would that be a big deal? Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you. How many people have seen um, the movie where this phrase comes in? Tradition! What was the name of the movie? Tradition. My favorites, Fiddler on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof. He knows every song? Really? I don't even need... Mark, what do you think? You think we could get him to sing? I'll cut out early so you can sing Fiddler on the Roof. I like that move, Mark. I mean, you guys... Online, you're not able to see all the fun that's happening over in the two corners. So before we keep going here and we start looking at this and why it had to do with people, let's talk about some other traditions 
and the traditions and what they look like. First off, God's people were set apart. Set apart means that they were given the Torah, they were given the instruction, he called them out of a culture to set them apart and give them a whole new way, not only of living, but thinking. And so that itself meant that they weren't common. And that was through the Torah, the Torah or instructions of Moses, people say the law of Moses. Now you also have other traditions. You have the oral tradition. The oral tradition, oh, Mark has a comment. I was just going to say, it's because they are in covenant relationship. So it's God has chosen a people, and it's all people that have decided to enter into covenant relationship with him. So, and that's any and everybody that decides to be in covenant. It'd be like a man is in covenant relationship with one woman. It'd be like him going to a single woman's home and staying in her home all night. He's not in covenant relationship. So this was the mentality then. The, the, the mentality then. And understand that one of the things that would take place in the first century, and I'm going to skip through some of these scriptures here, but because we, we've read this and we've talked about it. So the spirit, while, while the men, while Kepha was thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, see, three men seek you but rise up and go down and go with them, not doubting at all, for I have sent them. So, and this is all going to be tying in. This is more of a review with what Ralphie had said in the past couple of weeks. So the traditions tied into an oral tradition for a Yehudite, for a Jew, there would be no difference between the oral tradition and the written tradition. The Pharisees and the Sadducees taught the oral traditions, as if it were the written tradition. So there was really nothing in the written Torah of Moses that said you could not go into the house of one of the persons of the nation. But the fences around the Torah made it stricter because they were not supposed to have fellowship. For example, let's just say I go into a restaurant and it's a restaurant that is known for having a lot of pork products. Now, we don't eat pork. And I don't know if they cooked it with pork or not. And so I decide I'm going to go get a grass-fed burger. And then I see that they had a big slice of ham sitting on the same grill. And then they throw some lard there, and then they cook it up, and then they cook my burger. Would that be common in most restaurants? They wouldn't necessarily set apart, keep that word in mind, set apart a grill just for something that would be kosher or what we would call clean. So a lot of times people use the word holy. Holy means set apart. Set apart for what? set apart for Yah. So he had a set apart people that 
remained and tried to stay that apart. Because in the ancient Near East, one of the things that was very common, and it's common in parts of the world today, that when you enter someone's house, they serve you food. So if you enter a house in the South, and then they say, hey, come here, you know, aren't you, uh, in my case, you're Vanetta and Jean's son. Oh, come on here, we got some chitlins. Pork and test. So it's kind of rude not to eat, and it's kind of like, but at the same time, I'm not going to eat. So to avoid that is, they just didn't go because they would become common or unclean in terms of no, they still would be set apart, but they would not be clean. They would be defiled, so to speak, ritually unclean. So it was that kind of thinking. It was a cultural tradition. What are some of the traditions that we have that we've grown up with that we don't even think about anymore? Mike, I think we think about it, but for the most part, people don't think don't think anything about celebrating Christmas or Easter. That's the tradition, and it starts. I mean, the workplace. Um, I was overseas, and I noticed that countries that would not consider themselves Christian celebrate some of the same day. One of the things that most of us learn when we're really young, and I don't know if they still do it in schools or not, is the Pledge of Allegiance. So you have four- and five-year-olds pledging an allegiance as part of a tradition without really knowing the weight and what that means. But we grow up learning that. In my household, one of the traditions was that my siblings, older siblings said, What's our address? What's our phone number? What's the name of your mom and dad? They drilled it into me in case I got lost. I could tell the authorities my phone number, my address, and all of these things so that I would know. Other tradition in our family was I needed to learn my ABC, and I needed to know those things by heart. So here's Peter now being invited to go to the home. And the Spirit says, get up and go. Three men seek you. Go down with them, not doubting at all, for I have sent them. And the Scripture went on to say, So Kepha went down with the men who had been sent to him from Cornelius and said, Look, I am the one you seek. Why have you come? And they said, Cornelius, the captain, a righteous man, and one who fears Elohim, and well spoken about, spoken of by the entire nation of the Yehudim, was instructed by a set-apart messenger, we could say holy, to send for you to his house and to hear words from you. So now you have Kepha, Peter, having a vision, and now you also have Cornelius having a vision. Yes, Mark, please. So I wanted to draw a comparison here. So I know there's two groups during this period of, of time in the first century that 
the Jews were very, they looked upon with contempt. They, they, they looked down on them. One was the Romans, two was the Samaritans. And with what's going on here in Peter's mind, thinking you know, what the Father is trying to tell him and teach him is don't, don't call man un, unclean or uncommon or common, right? So how do we, and, and I, I, have, I think I have an answer, but I want to propose the question, how do we balance that with Ephesians, which says, you know, um, for this you know that certainly that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Messiah and Elohim. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. So you would look at this and you would think, look, he's telling, he's telling them, don't, you know, these people aren't, you know, they're unclean or they're, they're, they're common, right? And I, what I think is being, in Peter's mentality and the Jews' mentality, is it's not so much a person that it, than, than it is really a people group is where I think this is coming from, is it's not that the person himself, they're looking at the whole race as being this way, whereas Ephesians is dealing with the individual, not the race. So I think there could be, just my opinion, there could be a difference here in what's going on between Ephesians and what's going on here with Peter. Well, let me add on to what you said in terms of, let's say that a person who is an idolater or a person who was among us, and steps outside, they're not just common. They have become unclean, and we're not supposed to associate with them or have fellowship with them. So we're talking shades of gray here. Well, I'm not going to say that. No, we're talking black and white contrast. We're talking about tradition that holds that anyone other than a Jew was considered unclean. And then Paul even tackles that in Romans 2 where he's saying that basically we're not created unclean. But someone who was common could become set apart. The same way you had common people come out of Egypt. And that's why scripture says, if they worship me and obey my commandment, then they become just like you. There would be no distinction. This is not a New Testament teaching. This is just that the Father says, if people come, and why is that Torah important that they obey? Because, again, it's the Torah that sets us apart to make us set apart, which is called Kadosh or Holy. Mark. And this is why it's important that it's based on the individual and where they are at, their lifestyle, rather than a, a general sweep of a nation, a people group that's not based on their lifestyle. Thank you. So the distinction here is not that this person's born this way, this person's born this way. Yes, there were promises, and a promise to Abraham. So these people were supposed to come into a covenant. If they live their life according to that covenant, then they're walking it. I'm going to go back to the analogy of the Pledge of Allegiance and the flag. If I obey all the laws of the land, 
and this is kind of, I'm going to use a parallel from Scripture. I obey all the laws of the land that I know, but I don't pledge the allegiance. Am I a good citizen? Or you can contrast that with the person who stands up and pledges the allegiance, but violates all the laws of the land. Which one is the citizen? So we have that scripture where he says, who then is a Jew or a Hebrew? Is it the one who says you must be circumcised, so on the outward appearance that they're circumcised? Or is it the one who is practicing the Torah and obedient and maybe not be circumcised? Who is? So the distinction all through Scripture about what it means to be set apart, yes, it starts with the Hebrew, with Israel. But one of the reasons we're here, regardless of what our DNA says, is that we have chosen to align ourselves with the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, the God of creation. So in spite of the oral tradition that said you cannot fellowship, we can see that Cornelius was well respected. The scripture in verse 22 says, a righteous man, the only thing that makes a person righteous is the word of God. Obeying and doing the word of God. And it says that he was well spoken of by the entire nation of the Yehudim. Mark. So I just looked at another thing I, I did not know. And the word for in verse 28. He says it's unlawful, it, how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner. The word foreigner here, the Greek word alephalos, I took it back to the Tanakh, and it's only used for one people throughout all of the Tanakh, hmm. and it's the Philistines. Interesting. Interesting. So here we are in verse 22 a set-apart messenger to send for you to his house and hear words from you. Verse 23, so inviting them in, he housed them, and on the next day went away with him, and some brothers of Yafo went with them. And the following day they entered into Caesarea, and Cornelius was waiting for them, having called together his relatives and close friends. Wow. To me, he's like being a little bit evangelistic here. He's called his relatives and friends and said, Hey, this guy, this Jew, Yehudite, is going to be coming. What's he coming for? I don't know. But a set-apart spirit told me to call him. He's being obedient to the set-apart spirit. He's being led, right? So, <laughs> I don't know about you, but this gives me chills. Transport yourself there. Not only have you been walking according to Torah, but you had a set-apart spirit appeal, 
appear to you and tell you to send for a guy that you don't know. And you send off your friends, your servant, and this guy's going to show up. Dan. Uh, yeah, I, I like that. Transport yourself back then. Cornelius was a fear of Yahweh, but he was considered a second-class fear of Yahweh. He could never be accepted into the same level as a Jew. And now Peter's coming by way of the Spirit to tell him, you can be just, you can be accepted on the same level now. That was a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. And, I and this think, is, oh, can I just say this? No, please. I, you might have already mentioned, but I believe this is like 10 years after Messiah went up and went away. So this has been, a, this has been a long journey for Peter to come to this place to be able to accept that Gentiles are going to be accepted Hang on, on. as equals. Hang on, my computer act up real quick. I'm going to let... The tech wizard here fixed it back. In the meantime, yeah, I think it's a big deal. And I think sometimes we try to put ourselves, I think sometimes we can read Scripture without in taking ourselves into the story and understand to break cultural tradition is huge. To break cultural tradition, when you tell, told your family, that you were no longer going to do Easter or Christmas dinner or any of these things, it was not a small thing. It was huge. Here's Peter. He may have had to set apart spirit appear to him, but now he's stepping out of his comfort zone, and he's going to go into the house of a Gentile that he has never done before. And, and, and here's this guy who is waiting for a Jew to come into his home because the set-apart spirit prepared him to say, call for them. And it says, <laughs> in verse 25, And it came to be that when Kephar arrived, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and bowed before him. That's how... I mean, this is an army officer. This is somebody with rank. Yes, Polly. Is there a mic over there? Uh, can you grab that? Okay. So something interesting about this picture, okay? And I'm going to start out with a, with a different story, talking about customs. So we use the word oral traditions, but I'm going to use the word customs. So Dr. Sakina, I've mentioned this before in one of his uh, one of our very favorite books that he's written he tells the story of a custom of a nation of a king that it was an offense to ever put the sole of your shoe facing the king it was a great offense this was their custom and what also reminded me is a scripture before where it said he was invited Cornelius was invited, uh, um, Peter was invited. Okay, there was an invitation exchanged. There you go. Going back to my story of the king, the king invited two different men to come before him 
who had two different religious beliefs. The king was willing to hear them both. They were two of the major religions of today. The one man that represented the Christian religion never bothered to understand the custom of the nation, to look into the customs of the nation. And when they sat before the king, he sat with his legs crossed and immediately exposed the soles of his shoes to the king. At that point, the offense had occurred, and the king did not even hear what the man to say, and another major religion is what was adopted Mm. for this particular nation. Interesting. So now I'm going to go back to, with that in mind, using the word custom, I'm going to go back to this portion of Scripture. It's interesting that Cornelius, as Dan pointed out, it states that he was a man who feared Yahuwah. So this tells me that he understood the commands. He also understood the customs of the Jewish people. For him, he's quite surprised that the man who holds the customs is coming to him. This is a picture, I think, where the father is addressing the customs. It's speaking to, now I'm going to talk to you about your customs, where we're seeing a little bit where it's not the other way around, where Cornelius is totally um, what? clueless of the customs, and it's not Cornelius that's breaking the customs, but he understands it's Peter who holds to these customs, who is, break, who is going outside the boundary of his own customs to come to him. And I think that that is very important to us, that we need to be respectful of other people's customs, but when we see the person who holds the customs is willing to come to us to have a dialogue that breaks their own customs, sometimes only the work of the Most High can do that and is wanting to, to do a new thing here. Yeah, appreciate that. One of the words that's used is halakha, which does, again, go back. She used the word custom, um, and I'm not going to argue with that because they are synonymous or tradition. A lot of times we look at traditions, we think of state traditions, but they're also family traditions. You may have a tradition in your home on the Shabbat, on Rev Shabbat. That's your tradition. Someone else over here may have a different one. So we have different halachas that we practice. So the Jews as a group of people had oral traditions that dated way back. And so again, it's not a small thing. Years ago, I had to travel overseas, and one of the things that happened is before I went, I was briefed, like you said, on the customs of the people where I was going. It was inappropriate for me to receive anything with my left hand. That didn't violate scripture. It was just that this was a custom or a tradition. You do not receive, whether it's a gift or anything, with your left hand. At best, you would receive with both hands, in the worst case scenario, with one hand. And so 
here we were, we were sitting in a gur or a yurt, as some people say, and we were in a circle, and food was being passed around to my right going toward my left. And even though I had been briefed for a couple of weeks, here it was, it came to me, and I reached for it with my left hand, and the older man sitting there slapped my hand, and immediately I realized, ah, no, I don't do that. And I reached for it with both hands instead of just the right hand as a way of saying, I'm sorry, I apologize. And they had a little measure of grace that, you know, here's this idiot American guy who doesn't know our customs. He's coming here, and he didn't do it properly. So let's get back on track here, because we are not talking food, or else tradition would not really play into as much of this as it does. So there they enter. Cornelius falls down. Kepha raises him up, saying, stand up. I myself am also a man. Why was that important? When Mark comes up here, we don't bow down before Mark. Occasionally, I might do that. Mark and I joke around where I'll walk in the door, and he'll do this salute or, or bow, and I'll do the same thing. But in reality, he's just a man. Katha is being used by Elohim. He's just a man. Go ahead, Mark. So with that being said, and we see some of the angels telling some of the men in the visions, you know, don't do that, you know. Uh, stopping them. So when we see the people bowing and worshiping Yeshua, and he doesn't do as the angel or as uh, Kepha uh, is here correcting, that tells you that he isn't just a man. Just a man. Amen. Thank you. So, yes, Dan, please. I would say along with that, that any Gentile coming into Judaism, the Pharisees, the leadership, were well esteemed. They loved to have the praise of men, and I'm quite certain that Gentiles had to show that they were above them. And Peter's saying, I'm just a man here. I'm no better than you. The Spirit has told me to come to you and say we're equals now. Spirit told Peter, sorry. <laughs> Yeah. Spirit was told Peter to go show Cornelius that you're accepted just like I am. So don't bow to me. I'm merely a man just like you. You don't need to look up to me as someone higher in the faith. Right. Spoiler alert. How much of a cultural influence this was, these things, and Peter? There's going to be another time where he's called on the carpet or called to task for his behavior. <laughs> so. So next, next verse says, he says, because he told him, I'm a man, and talking with him, he went in and found many who had come together. And he said to them, you know that a Yehudite man is not allowed to associate or to go to one of another race, but Elohim has showed me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So he interprets the vision right there. Let's nail this lid shut. Peter interprets the vision. It's not a vision about food because he just said, Elohim has shown me. 
So now the next question is, that is why I came without hesitation when I was sent for. So I asked, why have you sent for me? So a lot of people in the church don't understand this passage because they tie this whole vision in with food, saying God said that we can eat. There's nothing unclean we can eat. And yet we can see that it has nothing to do with food. It has nothing to do with kosher eating. It's actually talking about people. And it's talking about people set apart versus people that are common or unclean. And so throughout history, throughout history, especially the oral tradition history, some of that still plays out today. You know, and some of the practices might still be that way. Shalom and I, hello, Shalom, have made it a tradition or a practice that we wouldn't hold hands before we got married. Now, we're engaged. We haven't held hands. I've never hugged her, never kissed her on the cheek. That's just something that we have chosen to do. It doesn't violate anything, so if we see someone else doing it, it doesn't mean like, oh, man, what are they doing? No, this is something that we have chosen to practice for our reasons. So, but when you have an entire nation that has been, that heaped on, and that's one of the reasons why Yeshua said, you heap up heavy burdens on people, and you yourself are not willing to do it. Some of those oral traditions had precedent or overwrote the Torah of Elohim. So that's some of the foundation, again, trying to take us back to the first century here. So now Cornelius is going to tell him why he has sent for him. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour, and in the ninth hour I prayed in my house, and see, a man stood before me in shining garments. I pointed to Mark because we always say, what time of day was it? Was it an hour of prayer? And Cornelius, and, and so a man stood before me in shining garments, and Cornelius, and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard, and your kind deeds, what, works, are remembered before Elohim. Now send to Yaphal, and call Shimon here, who is also called Kepha. He's staying in the house of Shimon, a leather tanner by the sea. When he comes, he shall speak to you. So I, am, I sent to you immediately, and you have done well to come. And now we are all present before Elohim to hear all that you have been commanded by Elohim. Again, we have two lines of obedience happening simultaneously. We have Cornelius being obedient, and he was already walking in obedience to set apart word, to set apart spirit, and so therefore a set apart spirit appears to him and he sends for someone who's set apart. But it's uncommon, not take that in the wrong way, for Peter to even think, wait a minute, why am I even going here? Who is this guy? And continuing, opening his mouth, Kepha said, truly, I see that Elohim shows no partiality, 
but in every nation, here's the catch, he who fears him and works righteousness is accepted by him. They're not talking about eating food. They're talking about being accepted by him. The fear, the righteousness, and accepted. And he sent word to the children of Israel, bringing the good news, peace through Yehoshua, Messiah. He is the master of all. You know that word came to be throughout all Yehuda, beginning from Galil after the immersion, which Yohanan proclaimed how Elohim did anoint Yehoshua of Nazareth with the set-apart spirit and with power, and he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, and Elohim was with him. Uh-oh, got a little disco music here. I'm not going to dance. And we're all witnesses of all he did, both in the country of the Yehudim and in Jerusalem, whom they even killed by hanging on a timber. Elohim raised up this one on the third day and let him be seen, not to all people, but to witnesses, those having been chosen before by Elohim, to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he commanded us to proclaim to the people and to witness that he who was appointed by Elohim to be judge of the living and the dead, to this one, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone believing in him does receive forgiveness of sins. I'm going to stop. All the prophets bear witness. This is not a new religion. This is not any more than when they left Egypt and people were able to join with Israel. Did it become new because somebody else joined? No. When they joined, they were supposed to be grafted in or adopted in to the traditions, the culture of what the Hebrews were supposed to follow. Not only that, if the Hebrews stopped following the culture and the traditions and stepped away from the Torah and the commandments, they became common, unclean, outsiders. So to do away with what makes you righteous, here's a man that was in the nation doing what made him righteous and acceptable to the point where the set-apart spirit appeared to him and took it a step further. Here's, again, take yourself back, guys. This is goosebump times for me. While Kepler was still speaking these words, imagine, the set-apart spirit fell upon all those hearing the word, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished, and many as came with Kepler because the gift of the set-apart spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and extolling Elohim. Kepha answered, Peter answered, Is anybody able to forbid water that these should not be immersed who have received the set-apart spirit even as we have? This is mind-blowing to me because 
this is a people that a few days before, Peter wasn't even going to bother going to sea. And because it was just not common, it wasn't something to be done. And now he, they haven't even been baptized, and a set-apart spirit falls upon them. They're all witness to this. Can you imagine what a, a paradigm shift that would have been in your head? That's what we call cognitive dissonance. <laughs> it's like, I see it. I don't believe it. I can't, okay, can't wrap my head around it. And to the Greek mind, we always want to tie it up. The Hebrew mind says, leave it alone. It happened. Let it be. So he said, is any, anyone able to forbid water that these should be immersed? who have received a set-apart spirit, even as we have. And he commanded them to be immersed in the name of Yehoshua Messiah. And they asked him to remain for a few days. Essentially, what Ralphie had been pointing out for the entire chapter is that this is not about food. This is really about the nation's coming in people, individuals who chose to be righteous and accept the God of Abraham because Abraham was promised that he would be the father of many nations. There is elsewhere in the, in the Brit Hadashah, the New Testament, where we see that prophetic picture being fulfilled, that people from all over the nations would start inquiring about who is these people's God? Because when we walk in righteousness, when we practice the word of Elohim, and we allow it to make a difference in our lives, then we become that light, because that was the same light that he wanted his people back in Exodus and Deuteronomy to display, so that the nations would inquire of them, because they had heard about Egypt, Mitzrayim, they had heard that he had taken these people out, and they were even afraid of them. So how much more if they had walked, and if we walked according to the word, the instructions that Elohim has given us, would it be an attracting light that other people would want to inquire of and, and, and say, who is the God that you're serving? I think it's really key. So. I'm going to close here. We're right at 2.15. Uh, thank you guys for participating. Thank you for listening. And Father, thank you so much. You have taken flesh and blood. You have taken mere men, given them your word, picked them up, washed them off, put them on a level path, a straight path, and instructed us the way in which we should go so that, one, we can have a relationship with you and approach you and be pleasing in your sight, and then, two, so that we can love our neighbor as ourselves. We love you first, and then you teach us how to approach you, how to love you, how to have a relationship with you, and then your Torah instructs us how to have a relationship with others so that we can reflect your very word, your breath, your character. Abba, we thank you. This is, this is amazing that you have done this for us. You have bent the knee to bless us. 
So, Father, we thank you, and we ask that you bless the rest of our afternoon. And uh, we leave all these blessings and praises. And in Yehoshua's name, amen. Amen. Thanks, everybody online. Thank everybody here. Yes. Oh, Polly, go ahead. I just want to say, you've really pointed out to us something, Paul, that I think this was an eye-opener for our brother Judah. I mean, of course, this is New Testament, but for us, that I think they were quite surprised that they think their na- they see their God being worshipped by somebody who doesn't keep their customs, their traditions, their halakha, and they see the Holy Spirit that they have seen at work, at work here, outside of who they are, and I think it speaks to us that we need to be willing that not everybody has to look the same. The Father is at work, even though we don't all look the same or think the same or walk out the same. The Father's at work in all of us, and we don't have to try to convert someone to look like me because Mm -hmm. this was totally going outside of people looking like Peter, and he sees that the Holy Spirit is at work within an entirely different group of people. Yeah, thank you, Polly. I like to say that it's his kids, it's not mine. So, you know, I'm not the parent of his kids. All right. Again, thanks, everybody.